Okay, we continue our study in Ephesians, and we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, and as we go through this letter to the Ephesians, you might discover some verses that you're familiar with, even though we read it in a different translation, maybe you're not as familiar, but we'll get to that in a moment. In Ephesians, Paul invites us to view the core of our identity as being located in Christ. That's the phrase, right? In Christ. And it's not to dismiss identity markers from other sources. Our identity is actually quite a complex mosaic. How we view ourselves, our value, our, uh, our role in the world comes from a number of different sources. It comes from our ethnicity, our sexuality, our occupation. We listed them all last week. Uh, but Paul doesn't dismiss all those But instead, he invites us to be rooted and grounded in our identity in Christ. In fact, to make things a little more complicated, he adds, in the heavenly realms. We talked about this in footnotes this morning. Our identity is in Christ, in the heavenly realms. Well, what does that look like? Let's just be honest. I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes with understanding what that means practically. How do I view my identity in Christ? So I want to give a couple of quick scenarios, not from my life story, but from actually Paul's life story, Paul's life story, as we find it in the New Testament. How did he view his identity in these very different scenarios that maybe you and I can relate with? First of all, suffering. How did he view his identity in Christ from a place of suffering. And Paul lists the number of ways he suffered. And it's not so much that he's complaining, he's just kind of stating the fact. That's what my mom says. I'm not complaining, Scott, I'm just stating the fact. Um, So this is what Paul does on numerous occasions. And he says things like he was stoned and he was shipwrecked, he was starving. He's writing this uh, letter from prison, right? And so he knew what it was to suffer for the gospel. This is the kind of suffering that he mostly talks about, suffering from the go- for the gospel. How does he view that from a position of being in Christ? We find a clue in Romans chapter 8. He, s- he says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's interesting, isn't it? Because he is in Christ, because he is already in the place of victory, He has a very long, eternal view of life. And in the face of eternity, he says our sufferings are temporary. Now, it doesn't feel like that. We're in the midst of it, right? Um, Last week, we had testimony of someone who came up and just wanted to give thanks that they had had a, a relief from their pain, their chronic pain. And we want to celebrate that. We never want to suppress someone giving thanks. But at the same time, in my mind, I'm thinking of a number of you here, and sometimes myself included, who face chronic pain. And we pray the same prayer, and we don't find relief. And sometimes we wonder, why God? How long, God? We lift this up to God. And Paul suggests that maybe part of the solution to this, at least in our hearts, and to give us peace, is to understand that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, don't use that verse when you go up to comfort someone who's just lost a loved one or something like that. Yeah, don't worry about it. 
It's nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that, that we're going into. That's not helpful. So we have to be careful and have a word in good season. But this is what Paul means by being situated in Christ, finding his identity, and beginning to view the world differently from that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we understand that Paul was facing some personal suffering, not just the suffering for the sake of the gospel, but he also faced personal suffering. He had this thing that he called his thorn in the flesh, and he wasn't married, so it wasn't that. So um, maybe something else. Uh, that was bad. I shouldn't have said that. Um, his thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, he prayed to God three times to have it removed, and God didn't remove it, whatever this was. What does it look like for him to be situated in Christ and view this? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Wow, that's a very different view of even his personal sufferings. Now, we're all going to go home and go, man, I'm just not there. I'm just not there yet. And here's my word of encouragement that I think will help. Uh, in my family, we have actually six boys all together, when you include my uncle who grew up with us. And one brother, my brother Eric, is the super athlete of the family, at least he was. And uh, he did amazing things with his body. Uh, he even won the Penticton Ironman Triathlon, if you know anything about that. And he won it two years after major cancer surgery. So just an incredible guy. He was battalion chief for the Kelowna Fire Department. He did enough exercise for the whole family included. I always took comfort in knowing about my brother Eric because I thought, I share his DNA. And so he is showing me my true potential. I may never reach that potential, <laughs> but there's potential there. I don't know if that helps you. Because I look at Paul sometimes and I go, wow, Paul, thank you for showing us my true potential <laughs> as a follower of Jesus. I might not quite get there, uh, but that's something to aim at. And I find that with Paul in his view of suffering. He views it from a position of being in Christ. Okay, what about success? Paul also talks about success. And that's actually one of the greatest traps that we might face is when we're, we're facing some success, whether it's in work or in our family, in life in general, that tends to be when we kind of don't feel we need God anymore. <laughs> well, what about success? Paul had a lot of success. He studied in the best of schools. He had citizenship as a Roman citizen. He had status and power that was given to him. He called himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews. This guy had all kinds of success. This is how he views his success in Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. Now, this isn't a suggestion to go home and take your degrees off the wall and burn them. That's not what we're suggesting here. But Paul had a different perspective on his success. He was willing to count that all as garbage because Jesus was far more valuable. Now, the interesting thing is Paul still leveraged his education and his citizenship, his status, as he went through and proclaimed the gospel. He still used all of that, but he held it with a different perspective, and it granted him 
humility. Okay, a third thing. And we've talked about this before. What about his sins? We've talked about suffering, success, and sins, if you're keeping track. And now, what about Paul's sins of the past? He even called himself the chief of sinners. I'm not sure that was entirely true. There might have been greater sinners than Paul. But considering what he did to the church and the number of people he maybe put to death, including Stephen and others, he felt that he was the worst of sinners. How did he view his past from a position of being in Christ? This is what he said in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He didn't view himself or form his identity based on the sins and the mistakes of his past. But he saw himself as being loved by God and redeemed by God. And this is really amazing. Here's what I'm trying to say. Paul did not allow his suffering to give him a victim identity. He did not allow his success to give him a sense of superiority to others. And he did not allow his sin to trap him in shame. None of those things were his identity because his identity was in Christ. This redeemed his suffering. It tempered his success and forgave his sins and gave him freedom. So in Christ, Paul works out his identity. And he doesn't diminish his past. It doesn't diminish his success. But it puts all of this in perspective. And it's so important. And that's why he can say with confidence to the Ephesians and to each and every one of us, though you once were identified as dead because of sin, now, because you're united with Jesus, you are alive in Christ. And that's the message that we find in chapter 2 of Ephesians. Well, two verses stand out at the end of the passage that was read for us today. Uh, right at the end of the passage, famous verses, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You might not have recognized them in the New Living Translation, but does anybody know them off by heart? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. A lot of us memorized it in like the King James Version or something like that, right? This, this revolutionary text that reminds us that we cannot earn our salvation. In fact, we don't have to. It comes to us as a gift of God received by faith. But I actually want to go to the next verse, because sometimes we forget about verse 10. And in verse 10 in the New Living Translation says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And here is a second piece of our identity. Not only are we in Christ, that's our position, but we're made for a purpose. And that's part of our identity as well. We're not just saved from something, we are saved to something. We are saved for a purpose, and it's the works that God has planned for us in advance. Now here, I have a little bit of an issue with the translation. Um, the translation in, in the New Living says that we are God's masterpiece. 
Now, I don't want to deny that. If you really want to hold on to that, uh, that's, that's true. I do believe that Doug Goebel is a masterpiece, and so are all of you, right? Um, but but the, the word is, is much more simple than that. It, it really just means that we're made by God. And because we're made by God, we are useful for a purpose. <laughs> just the very fact that God made us. The word that's used there, poema, we get the word poem from. But when Paul was writing this, he wasn't thinking about poetry. He was thinking about someone making something, right? When I was in uh, high school, early high school, one of the shop, the classes I loved was shop class, and I loved woodworking. And I can remember my first woodworking project. Anybody remember that? If you had to do this in school, what was your first woodworking project? Really? Mine was a spoon. How uninteresting was that? And so I got to make a spoon in woodworking. And at that very same time, my dad, it's actually, it would be my dad's birthday today. I just realized that. He would have been 89. Uh, but my dad had been laid off from uh, Brenda Mine in Peachland. And uh, he had turned our double garage into a woodworking shop in order to uh, just make money. And he was very good at it. And he made this beautiful outdoor furniture. He had the whole shop set up to do it. And I came home with my wooden spoon, all excited. Dad, look at this, as I'm standing in his shop with all the machinery and the gorgeous chairs and, you know, everything else. But the point is this. Um, the word that's used in this text to make something it doesn't matter whether it's a masterpiece or if it's very mundane. It's just that someone has made something that's useful for something. And that's what we learn about in this passage. That part of our identity comes from the fact that we are made by God for a purpose. We're made by God for a purpose. And we're not talking here about individuality. So sometimes we say, oh, what's my purpose in this life? I have to discover it. We're talking here more about the common experience of what it means to be human. That God has made us uniquely human. And in our humanity, we are here for a common purpose. What is that? What is that purpose? Well, we're given a hint in the passage. It says that we are made by God to do good. That's our purpose. We are made by God to do good. Well, what kind of good are we made to do? Well, then he hints at another answer to this, and it's the kind of good that God has planned in advance for us to do. And as soon as that line comes up, it takes us right back to the creation story where God made so many good things and made humanity and gave them a purpose, gave them good things to do. And we've talked about this in the past, that there's at least three good things that God wants us to do. First, we are made for creation care. We are made to be stewards of God's good earth. Second thing, we are made for community building. It's not good that man or anyone should be alone, right? And so there's this formation of community. And thirdly, we are made for communion with God. We are made for worship. And when we align ourselves with these good works, we experience something of our true identity. How does that play out? 
Have you ever gone out hiking? I know Jean Parody, Alice, others, and I love seeing um, Jean's uh, you know, photographs yeah, they post on Facebook, and they're just beautiful. And when you're in the beauty of nature, you feel something. At least I hope you feel something. Something of, of gratitude, something of awe, something of inspiration as you look around at the beauty of creation. Why is that? Why, I think, because we're leaning into our true identity. We're leaning into something that we're made for. We were meant to be good stewards, those who appreciate and tend to all of creation. Some of you love to garden. Me, not so much. I love to eat the produce of the garden. But when you love to garden and you get your hands in the soil and you just feel this sense of, of awe and wonder at seeing things, living things grow, that's part of our purpose. That is good works that God has ordained for us to do because we're meant to be stewards of God's good earth. Or when we're involved in community building, when we call up that person that we know is lonely, or when someone does that for us, or when we go down to the mustard seed and we help out with those who are vulnerable, and we have this sense of, of I'm going to call them the warm fuzzies. Hey, I feel like I'm doing something right, because we are, because we're leaning into that which God has intended for us to build human community, not to tear it apart through violence, but rather to build it up in peace. And when we do things that foster human community, we are leaning into our purposes. These are the good works that God has planned in advance for us to do. What about communion with God? When we gather in this place and Pastor Samuel and Jin and others, they lead us in the worship song and every once in a while, you just feel like heaven opens up and it's not just Samuel singing. There's something of the presence of the Spirit of God here and you feel that heart of worship. Sometimes that moves you to tears or to respond with your bodies. Why is that? Because that's our identity. That's what we're made to do. We were made for worship. And so I know sometimes we can read this passage and say the good works are doing good deeds for others. That's true. But there's this wider scope that these are the works that God has planned in advance for us to do. Right from the creation of the world, God has given us tasks. And when we lean into these jobs, we discover something of who we really are, that we are meant to care for creation and build community and have communion with God. And that is the anchor of our identity as well. Well, there's no doubt in my mind that individually we have a reason for being. I think each and every one of us uh, catch a glimpse of that every once in a while. But what I'm talking about today is that at the core of our identity is this fact that we have been created by God to do good. And that's something that we can all uh, appreciate and enjoy. So here's my challenge. What good things will you do today? As, as we search for confirmation of who we are and what our value is in this world, and as we lean into the good things that God has appointed for us to do, what good things will you do today? They might not be great good things. They might not be newsworthy good things. But as Mother Teresa is famous for saying, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. And when we do that, we find our identity as created in the image of God. Let's pray together.
Father, we are so grateful that you have given us a purpose. And that purpose is found in your Son, and the purpose is found in the tasks, the jobs that you've assigned for us to do. Help us to do these tasks well. As individuals, as a church community, in this place at this time, And may we find joy in serving you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.